Well, welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We're glad to have you join us for today's show. Across from me is Shane Bishop. My name is Mike. We are in episode two about leading as a Christian leader during crisis. It's based off of Shane's blog, Leading the Church in Crisis. You can find it at RevShaneBishop.com. Shane, I want to bring you in. You kind of smell like a campfire. What's that about? Well, Mike, we had a big weekend. We invited uh, some lifelong friends of ours. When we first started, it was just uh, two couples and two young children. Both of us had young children. And we have had a close friendship for uh, 30 years now. And so we do some things together. So during the fall, we held the first annual Bishop Baker Q and Stew. And so we had everybody come out to the cabin. There were, now everybody's, all the kids are married and they have kids. And we had this huge group of people out at the cabin. Melissa made some wonderful Brunswick stew, uh, Southern style, South Georgia style. We had a great barbecue that the folks at Laughing Coyote, Brent and the guys made for us. They smoked a pork butt. It was delicious. But we just had an incredible weekend. Now, were there any games that you guys played? We played cornhole. No, we had a cornhole tournament. All right. Is there, I mean, you got some athletes. We have some athletes. In both both families. That's correct. Is there some competition or just all fun? It all stays fun. Right. And part of the way we keep it fun is we just make sure that, you know, whoever's the best at something, they're probably going to get paired up with the youngest child. <laughs> and so there's really no way uh, that yeah. anybody is going to win. But, you know, it seems like when you have uh, athletic families, it's either going to be supercharged or super laid back. We are the latter. Laid, laid back. Yeah, that doesn't mean the grandkids are always the most laid back. <laughs> but, uh, yes, we, we are the latter. Well, I'm glad you had a great weekend. That sounds like like fun and fellowship, memories made. I was in the basement writing a paper all well, weekend. Well, that's good. Well, and you know, Mike, one of the things I think about a lot, I was watching Duck Dynasty. You remember Duck oh, Dynasty? Oh, I love Duck show? Dynasty. Jace, who was my favorite character mm-hmm. on, on Duck Dynasty, was drinking a, a like a mason jar full of tea, right? Just a, a mason jar full of iced tea. And he said something I've never forgot. He said, nobody's going to drink it for you. And when I think about life, you know, if you don't enjoy your life some, nobody's going to do it for you. And then from your perspective, if you don't do some of the things to get you where you want to be in life later, nobody's going to do that for you either. So I'm probably, people often think you're older than me, but that's not the case, no, right? just looks that way. It looks <laughs> that way. And looking more like that all the time. But, uh, you know, I'm what, Mike, I'm 20 years older than you? Yeah. So... I'm kind of at a point in my life Mm -hmm. where I'm taking a little bit more time to enjoy my life because I've pushed so hard for so much of it. And that is is a blessing. You're at a point in your life where you've got some things that you need to knock out to get you where you want to be. I think both of those are terrific times in life. Uh, but we need to understand what those times are and we need to understand uh, and we need to find joy in them. I'm sure being in a basement, reading or or writing a paper isn't as fun as eating barbecue. But uh, had I not worked really hard when I was your age, 
I would not be enjoying some of the things I am at my age. And so there is a give and take and a push and pull to all that. And for me, that is about the kind of long-term strategies. You got to work hard. You got to work hard for a long time, but you know, setting things up so hopefully you can have more enjoyable times towards uh, you know other times in life. Well, Mike, you think about it. Like think about like retirement or saving money. Is there ever a good time when you're young to save money? Absolutely not. Like, can you ever afford to put money away? Absolutely not. And if you don't, you're going to be an old dude and you're going to be living off of a buck nothing. Right. And so a lot of things are just saying, hey, where do I want to be? What's it going to take to get there? You pay the price. And when you're paying the price, you just try to make things work. It's not great. You're just trying to make it work. Right. On the other side of that, things get better. I love the old Dave Ramsey quote. You know, he, he always advised people to live like no one else, meaning save and compromise so you can live like no one else. And for me, a life is a lot like that. You, you cross your eye, you cross your T's, you dot your eyes, you do what you got to do. You, you're faithful to the season, mm-hmm. just faithful to the season, and uh, God's blessing will be something you can enjoy. But we do need to be aware of that. So I'm at the point now where uh, I can uh, kick my feet up and sit on a porch and look at the woods, drink a glass of sweet tea, and know that God's been really, really good to me. He has been, and I am honestly grateful to hear, you know, uh, when you have those good times. It really does kind of encourage me for uh, hopefully what my future will look like uh, one day. Well, let's move to our content. Now, Shane, we talked about Christian leaders. They find themselves in a very difficult position today. There's no doubt that we have never needed more leadership, but yet it is harder than ever to lead. So how do we effectively lead in such times? Now, on our last episode, we talked about how the Christian leader needs to define their core values, lead prayerfully, lead strategically, think team, and of course, don't wait for 100% support. Let's go to our next point in this. Christian leaders need to have a support system. What are your thoughts on it, Shane? These days, and in divisive times, you can get your butt kicked and do everything right. I learned this playing baseball. You can hit the ball on the screws, absolutely crush the ball, and hit it right at the center fielder on a line, and the center fielder does not even have to move and you're out. And there are other times you can break your bat and get jammed, and that thing clunks in between the second baseman and the right fielder, and you've got a base hit. So even if you do everything wrong, sometimes things work out. And even if you do everything right, uh, sometimes things go bad. So you're always going to have struggles in those inner, you're always going to have inner doubt during the time when things go bad. And you're going to, somebody can say, no, 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 you did everything right. And, and of course we're going to say, then why did things go bad? Right. And, and so there, there is that inner doubt. There are decisions that I call 4951. And that just means no matter what you decide, there will be fallout. Mm. It's just, it's right on the tipping Mm -hmm. point. And you know that. So you're going to need trusted players outside your leadership sphere to console you, to celebrate you, to walk with you. I really really think having a coach is not a bad idea if you don't have a mentor. Because what is a coach? A mentor that you have to pay. What is a bartender? a counselor you have to tip. And so at the end of the day, having a support system 
in divisive times is really important because stuff will blow up on you. I think if people are not in divisive times or not in crisis mode right now, this is the time to be pouring Agreed. into those relationships that are your support system because you're going to have to be withdrawing from those people whenever you go through the crisis. So who do we got? We have spouses. Uh, friends, like you said, mentor, maybe there's colleagues. They can be a form Absolutely. of support system. Uh, of course, I always say, is there a counselor, which is a little different thing, but that is can be a part of the support system. But the greater point is, um, for me, Shane, and I think we've talked about this, at times when we are not as crazy just in ministry work, not crisis, uh -huh. but I try to build relationships with people because yeah. I know whenever it gets crazy, uh, um, not only will there be withdrawals, I may not have as much time just to spend with them. So thinking even long term with the relationship. I think a lot about Jesus's parable of the house of the two houses. One's built on sand, one's built on rock. Obviously, the big lesson is the one built on sand blows down under the, the forces and the one built on rock stands during the flood and storm. But the sub theme is that no matter where you build your house, storms are going to come. And storms are going to come. And what storm storms don't uh, storms don't strengthen our houses. They reveal what has mm. been built. Mm. So when the storm comes, your house is either built well enough to stand, or it's not. And it's storms are revelation. You don't improve your house during a storm. You improve your house during good weather. You don't build a support system during a crisis. You build mm. a support system when things are going well. You don't make friends when you need a friend. You make right. friends when friends are fun and when you're fun. Right. That is when you do it. So I couldn't agree more, Mike. If you want a support system, uh, you better start building it now if you want it to be there when you need it. You know, another idea with the support system that's helped me, especially as I've kind of grown in my Christian leadership and, and how it kind of can insulate you too, is have someone either in your past that takes you back to uh, kind of takes you back to your roots, yeah, if you will. Yeah. It takes you back home, or even someone with the appropriate level of trust that's a non-Christian. And what I mean by that is is simply someone who can bring you to the reality of what's going on in the world, mm -hmm. can bring you a different perspective. I have more of the former than the latter right now. People who I can call on who just remind me who I once yeah. was and where I come from. Uh, but I do think that uh, that is also a, a really just in crisis, uh, you know, our core values are tested, but also, uh, you know, just our identity as people. Why do, I've heard you say before, you know, uh, why are you in, in, in what you're in? Because you want to see people come to Jesus. It's kind of been, mm -hmm. I think, your main yeah. tagline. And we have to realize there are certain people in our lives that can help remind us why we are doing what we're doing as Christian leaders, especially during crises. Absolutely. And those support systems are so very important during those times. And one of the things, uh, I, I read this uh, a while back, it's not, it's not original with me, but it said never take advice from, or never take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. And I really like that. You know, if, if somebody doesn't have enough integrity with me to take, or to take advice from, why would I care what they think about me on the criticism side? Support systems have to be built with people who love you. And at the end of the day, that has to be, who they're working for. In a sense, in a financial sense, they have fiduciary responsibilities to you. They have to be working on your behalf. Sometimes mm -hmm. somebody loves me, needs to tell me I'm wrong. Right. But I won't be able to hear that unless I know they love me mm. and unless they know, I know they're working for my good. 
So when you build a support system, I, I think your advice is, is good. It, it needs to come in different ways. It needs to be at different levels. It needs to connect us. Uh, a support system may look like a mentor. It may look like two or three peers. It may look like somebody we went to high school with sure. who, who knew our heart. It yeah. may look like that spouse. It may look like that lifelong best friend. Uh, all of those things. But what I think everybody in your support system needs to have in common is they love you and they want what is best for you. Absolutely agreed. Next, Shane, you said for leading the church in crisis, a Christian leader needs to be transparent. What do you mean by that? Well, it just means to tell the truth. You know, I, I was watching a press conference recently and uh, the press secretary, they were grilling the press secretary about high gas prices, right? Uh -huh. And the, the press secretary said something to the effect of, you know, we're not terribly worried about that because our long-term game are renewable sources of energy, not fossil fuels. And if gas is a little high right now, that's not our biggest concern. And it really hit me poorly. And then I got analyzing myself. Why did that hit me poorly? And, I, and it came to me because I'm not used to politicians telling me the truth. If I'm griping about high pr gas prices, I'm yeah. used to people telling me, we're doing our best to get those down. Yeah. But to have somebody say, you know, I don't really give a crap yeah. because we've got something else going. I actually found that somewhat refreshing, <laughs> yeah, though I completely awesome. disagreed with the premise. So for me, being transparent is just to tell the truth. It's staying optimistic. You, you give them the good news. You know, in this sense, the good news was we have a vision for renewable sources of energy that right. don't have us relying on on fossil fuels. Bad news is it's going to cost you way more than you want to spend yeah. right now. I'm not saying I hold that position, but that was their position. Transparency, though, if you do it long enough, it builds trust. And I think trust is essential mm. to leadership. Yes. Yeah. And if I had to say what is the one thing I think American politics has lost, yeah. it's trust. Because they've essentially stopped telling the truth. And I'm not, and that neither side owns that. Right. But then we don't believe anything. Right. And so for me, transparent is just having the courage. And again, that's got to come out of your core values. But it's having the courage to tell the truth. Just to be honest and open right. with people. I think, too, for a Christian leader, they need to understand why are they being transparent. And it should be to help people. It shouldn't be because I'm being transparent in this moment because I need a friend. Or I'm being transparent right. in this moment because I need to let something out. Yeah. No, I'm being transparent in this moment because I'm a Christian leader, and that is what I am called to do. And I'm going to be positive, like you're saying, but I need to give you the facts because this holds integrity and even promise management in a well, lot of ways. Well, Mike, if, you're, if, if being transparent isn't a core value, you're not going to be transparent because it's very seldom the pragmatic move. The pragmatic moves calm everybody down and kick the can down the road. <laughs> That's the pragmatic move. Or tell somebody an outright lie, yeah. and then by the time they figure it out, they'll, you'll be on to something else. That, that is more pragmatic. But I think right. transparency has to come from our core, and our core has to be as a truth teller. Yeah. One of the things I really respected about your leadership during the worst of the COVID outbreak here at Christ Church is if somebody called us on a on a Monday and said, hey, uh, you know, Carmen, our, our pastor Carmen of Congregational Care is who they would have talked to. And they would have said, hey, I was at church Sunday. Uh, it's Tuesday. Uh, I just tested positive for COVID. You know, we, we announced that. We, we put that 
in our stuff. We communicated that information. At the worst of COVID, our church opened way early. At the worst of COVID, no one reading that thought that helped us any. The only reason you tell people that is because you're telling them the truth. It doesn't help get more people to church. In fact, it hurt us. Every time after we reported COVID, attendance would be down that much more the next week. But we developed a reputation for truth-telling. And after a while, people say, okay, that is who they are. And then when we tell the truth about other things, they tend to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm at a point so often with this country right now is when I hear something from politicians I don't give them the benefit of the doubt because that's not been earned. I perceive I'm not being told the truth. And that creates a whole set of problems. So if you're going to lead effectively in crises, particularly if you're going to lead the church, I think you've got to tell the truth, even if it's not what people want to hear. You you have to tell. A person has to tell the truth in Christian leadership. I do think uh, one of the interesting uh, difficulties for pastors in general is because they hold so much confidentiality. Yeah. And I do because I know great pastors who are truth tellers. But uh, a lot of times you have a lot of confidential things. So it does take some skill sometimes to say the right things and not lose pastoral confidentiality. Uh, and I think the people who can do that well are outstanding Christian leaders. And I've seen that in your life, how you have to hold confidentiality and you are still telling uh, with authenticity what we need to do or what's been done. Yeah, and th- those are tough lines sometimes. They, they, they really are. But uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, your default has to be, let's, let's just tell the truth. I mean, first of all, it's easy to remember your story if you tell the truth. And it may not be to your short-term advantage, but I think in the long term, telling the truth is always the right move. All right. Next, for leading the church through crisis, Shane, you said it's important that a Christian leader rests. Rests. What do you mean? In crises, we tend to push ourselves and push and push and push. And a lot of times that's necessitated. (laughs) Yeah. What else? You know, it it really is. (laughs) You know, if you are a farmer and it's harvest time, you don't go home because it's five o'clock and it's quitting time. You get the stinking <laughs> harvest in. We live out in a woods, but we're surrounded by cornfields. We hear combines all night long at harvest time. So for a short term, you, you can push, you can go 24 seven. When the pandemic first hit us in February, March of, 2019, 2020, when that pandemic first hit, we didn't know what we were dealing with. We're 24 seven, we are 365, we are pushing and pushing and pushing, but you cannot sustain that pace indefinitely. At some point, you gotta get back to taking your day off. At some point, you gotta get back to taking vacations. At some point, you gotta feel peace enough to turn off the phone. At some point, you gotta rely on your teams. And at some point, you've got to start living healthy. And there's a great story about uh, Babe Ruth after he retired from baseball. I'm thinking it was George McDonald that owned the Yankees then, but I'm not sure. But anyway, Babe Ruth wanted to manage the Yankees. So he gets a hold of the Yankees owner, and, and, and he says, I want to manage the Yankees. And, of course, Babe Ruth is a force in his day. I mean, he's probably the most recognized athlete, you know, in America. He's utterly iconic. So if he tells you he wants to manage the Yankees, there's a certain amount of pressure you're going to have to let him manage the Yankees. And the owner said, Babe, 
you can't even manage yourself. At the end of the day, leaders in times of crises got to push, push, push. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to be able to manage yourself. And that is playing for the long haul. Yeah, I think with young leaders in particular, there's two sides of the coin. I've seen some young leaders who, uh, like you were saying, in crisis, you still have to push for a while, right? And some young leaders, they, they think this whole rest thing is that there's no push. Oh, things aren't going very well for me, so I just need to yeah. rest. I don't need to get this done. You know, that's uh, bogus. Let me just say it like that. That That is not the case. There's time you have. There's uh, there's times you have to keep pushing. There are other young leaders that I've seen that just push, push, push until the burnout happens. And, and they need to hear that idea of resting. You know, I was thinking about Christian leadership. I think, uh, especially from a pastoral standpoint, uh, my generation has learned a lot from your generation and the pastors that were uh, right before you as well in terms of rest rhythms. I remember about 15, 20 years ago, there was a pastor in his 50s who told me that out of the, his uh, seminary class that graduated with the Masters of Divinity, only one-third stayed in the ministry, I believe in the first 10 or 15 years yeah. of their ministry, which is amazing. I also remember a couple when I was in seminary, a couple of uh, kind of recruiters for a conference came and talked to me, and they were in their 50s or 60s at the time. They asked me what I was learning, and like one of the classes was like habits that sustain ministry, how you take care of themselves, how you, how a pastor takes care of themselves. I remember them being shocked and grateful. I said when we were in seminary, they didn't teach us anything about that, how to take care of ourselves. So I do think my generation stands on another generation's shoulders in that. Mike, we had uh, active shooter training yeah. uh, here at church uh, a couple weeks ago, and police came in and, and did these simulations as if there were an active shooter, and what do you do, and playing through all that. And the person that led that said something that really struck me. Uh, he was training a group of police officers who have to intervene in active shooter situations. And uh, no, he was training a group of police officers who were on drug in drug enforcement. That was it. They were in drug enforcement. And he said to this group of young officers, he said, what is our number one objective? And they said to return home alive. And he said, not exactly. Our number one objective is to uphold the laws as they have to do with drug enforcement. If our number one objective was to stay alive and to go home alive, we would never come to work. <laughs> And the reality is, in church, our number one objective is to connect people to Christ. So if you got this idea that I am never, ever going to work on a Friday, well, you know what? In crises, you're probably going to have to work on a stinking Friday. It's just all there is to it. But if you get working every single Friday, now you're in a non-sustainable pace. So I think there is a lot of, of wisdom that is needed, a lot of discernment that's needed. When is the crisis and when does the crisis end? And I think it's what our government is having to decide now. You know, we, we clearly had a COVID crisis. Is, is that crisis now a new normal? Are we still in the crisis? When does the crisis end? And in churches, a lot of times they'll go through tough times, but when is it that we go back to normal? Or when is it we just say, this is the new normal, so I got to figure out how to get a vacation and take my day off. But I think we miss on two sides, and you alluded to that earlier. We, we miss when we say, I am so inflexible in self-care that mm -hmm. my number one objective in ministry is to care for myself and my family. Right. Not really. Your number one objective is to connect people to Jesus Christ. Right. If all you wanted to do is care for yourself and your family, just stay at home and, and don't expose yourself to all the horrors of ministry. Right. 
So there is some balance that is required there, but I'm going to say that during normal time, we need to take every day of our vacations. We need to take our day off. If we can't do that, we need to find another day to take off. And if a large block of time in crises gets taken from us, we need to make sure that we return that to ourselves in some way. Right. Most church councils are pretty reasonable to work with pastors if they think that pastor works hard. Mm. They, they're pretty reasonable. Right. And I'm going to say that most pastors, 90% of their schedule is set by themselves. And the only exception is going to be Sundays when they have to be somewhere to give them time. The rest of their schedule is pretty much set by themselves. So if you are a church leader, if you're on staff and you're really uh, upset because you're not getting enough time off, I just want to suggest it's probably your own stinking fault. Absolutely. That's what I've had to realize in my own life. Right. If I've not had a day off for four months and it is not a time of crisis, there's no one to blame but yeah. me. Right. I think a lot, a big part of that too, what you're saying, people have to take a little time and reflect on where they're at. And I'm not talking about taking a half a day off. Get up early one morning. Are you going through crisis? What is it that you need to do at work? What is it's going on in your personal life? People have to take a little time and reflect in order to uh, understand how they can do that well. All right, Shane, next for being a leader and leading the church through crisis, you say to navigate, navigate. What do you mean, Shane? Well, in a crisis, there's no map to follow. That's why it's a crisis. So you can't just say, Siri, uh, give me the directions. It, it's not like that. So you got to get comfortable making decisions. You got to get comfortable holding steady. You got to get comfortable hunkering down yeah. during storms. And the other thing you got to realize navigating is what you got to do in storms. And it's not very efficient. But sometimes when there's too many variables to actually follow directions, navigation's all that you have. So if it makes you feel any better, every leader in the New Testament was navigating. It was a movement of God. It was a jagged time. The Roman Empire is increasingly pushing against Christianity. Every leader in the New Testament is navigating in times of perpetual crises. So sometimes we get thinking, well, I want a map. I want to map this out. That's mm -hmm. very linear, and, and, and it's great in normal time. But there are times you're just going to chunk your map out the window, and you're just going to have to navigate. And being comfortable with that, I think, is an essential skill for leaders if they're going to be effective during crises. And I think being effective in that way and navigating is that people, and this is kind of back to our last point, people got to understand where they are at emotionally during crises. Mm -hmm. I do think some people burn out and cannot work well or cannot function well at work because they can't even identify their emotion that they're going through. And I really believe if people can identify their emotion, doesn't mean they have to go take a week off. It's just to say, okay, this is how I'm feeling. I, I, I see that. I can pray about that. I can talk with someone about that. But it helps people get through their workflow. I was at, uh, I was a chaplain in Barrington, Illinois, uh, you know, like 15 years ago. And when I was there, there's this guy who came in and gave a presentation. He talked about uh, people in ministry, how they need to identify what their feelings were. And when they don't, or when they're unable to uh, identify their feeling, it's often because there's only a few feelings allowed in their household, and they'll keep going through that channel. So in your household, if you're only allowed to be angry, even when you're sad, your whole psyche, mm -hmm. you're going to move through uh, to anger. And there was this one woman in the class who said, well, I'm never angry about anything. 
I've never been angry. And she was trying to be this really nice Christian woman. And he started to unpack. And at the end of it, she's like, they did not allow me to be angry in my household. And it really created some uh, emotional constipation in her life. And I do think for Christian leaders, um, really in any season, but especially through crises, they need to be able to identify what their feeling is. Not that they need a pity party. It's just then they know how to pray for it and they know what to deal with what they're going through. An easy way to do that, a resource, Google the feelings wheel. Okay. You know, you know, a lot of times in counseling, they'll talk about the feelings wheel. Mm-hmm. What, we'll, what emotion are you feeling? And whenever you can just identify it, it is the first uh, part of processing through it. All right. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and learning, you know, when I was young, I, I did a lot of disaster relief. I headed disaster relief teams. And one of the very first things they taught me in the training was you can't be a victim and a relief giver. You gotta decide who you are. So if your neighborhood is hit by a tornado and your house is destroyed, you need to say, (laughs) I am a victim here. I can't be the relief giver. And a lot of times it's just having the emotional intelligence to know where you are in things. And sometimes we are so overwhelmed. You know, if, if, if somebody, if somebody's father dies, yeah. I can minister to them. Right. If my father dies, I need to be ministered to. Sure. And so knowing where we stand, knowing where we are is a part of navigation. It, it sure is. And I've been, you know, last weekend there were a lot of box. There was a big heavyweight fight. I don't know if you saw the boxing championship fight, any of the highlights from that on Saturday night. But it was uh, Dante Wilder versus uh, this guy they called the Gypsy King. But anyway, super heavyweight fight. It was a great, I saw a lot of highlights. But it's funny because you just see some of the fighters, they're just on the ropes sometimes and they're getting hit. And I do think in ministry, uh, the ropes keep you alive for a while. Yeah. But what happens towards the end of the fight, you got to get away from those ropes. And one of the guys who got defeated, he just got hit too many times. And I do think navigating, we got to figure out, you know, part of that, where are we at in the fight? Uh, so we can figure out where how we can keep going forward. Yeah, and just being able to self-identify, am I am I a victim in this? Uh, do I need ministered to, or am I a relief giver? Do I need to minister? Those are fair questions to ask. And just because you hold a title like pastor, doesn't mean you don't need ministered to. Absolutely. You want to burn yourself out quick. You try to minister to others while you're a victim of a circumstance. You will burn fuel you do not have, and you will collapse. Absolutely. Well, finally, Shane, um, for being a Christian leader during crisis, how we lead the church is to lead boldly. What can you tell us about leading boldly in those times? You know, James wrote that a a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Where I put the book of James is right before the uh, Jewish revolt against Rome. And there was a, there were a lot of people radiating at high frequencies in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was kind of undergoing a civil war. You're about to revolt against an empire you cannot possibly beat. So there was a lot of double-mindedness. People were just flying about at high frequencies. And, and so during times of crises, leaders can't suffer from that double-mindedness and indecision during challenging times. I think a tentative leader, even if they are right, is the worst kind of leader because they give people nothing to follow. Mm. So when things, when things call for leadership, it's not, a lot of times we think, well, I got to get it right. Well, you know what? A lot of times you can't get it right. I learned that in that active shooter training. 
no matter what you do, it's a crapshoot. You take a left one time, that's the right move. You take that same move again, you ran right into the shooter, which I did once when I left the stage. And so there, there's this point at which you're just going to have to do something. And you're going to have to lead in some way. So for me, think it through, pray it through. But if you decide to do a thing, follow right. through. Give people something to follow. People will follow bold leaders. And Shane, you've, you've, we've established that this isn't a solo venture. We have to do this a team and get an 80% of you know, buy-in in general. But uh, sometimes when you are the leader, you have to make a decision. Correct. And there's an old hymn that is one of my favorites about, I have decided to follow Jesus. And uh, there's one line that goes in there, uh, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. And I do think... You know, God uh, gives this mantle of leadership to certain people, and there comes a time when you just got to lead boldly. Sure, you want your team with you and, and all of that, but there just comes a time, I've seen it in your life too, where you've just had to make a decision. You have people with you and all that, right. but you know it's going to kind of fall on you as the main leader. Absolutely. And that seems to be uh, a, an attribute of all leadership, but also, or especially whenever we are in crises. I've always said pastors are like quarterbacks in football. You get more credit than you deserve when the team wins, and you get more blame than you deserve when the team loses. I think part of this uh, shifting paradigm, Mike, that's going to be hard, is a lot of us baby boomer pastors who, who God used to help facilitate and help build great, great churches. We were used to taking all the risk, but we also got a lot of the reward. And for a couple of decades, it seemed like you, you sure won a heck of a lot more than you lost. But I think with the new paradigm, uh, we still are going to get blamed if things go bad. But we now need to share the victory when things go well. Mm. And that is an ask. And one of the things that people don't understand when they talk to successful baby boomer leaders is they don't understand what's being asked of them. What, what's being asked of them is to continue to assume all the risk, but to share the reward. Hmm. That is tough, and it's a, it's a big ask. But at the end of the day, when you're leading in tough times, uh, you got to ask yourself, why do I lead? Do I lead for myself? Do I lead because it's easy? Do I lead because I want to? Do I lead because I think I have to? And for me, uh, I lead because I truly believe God asked me to do so. And so for me, it, it's not a matter of being successful. It's a matter of being faithful. And if it's if faithfulness is what is at issue, then it gets a whole lot easier to swallow your ego. Hmm. If success is what at issue, right. if I take all the risk, by gosh, success <laughs> wants all the reward. Christian leadership isn't like right. that. It's about being faithful to God. Amen. Well, we hope this helped you as a Christian leader as you lead through crisis. We want to thank you for joining us for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We would love for you to subscribe, share, or review our podcast. And if you'd like to hear more from Shane or I, visit our websites, RevShaneBishop.com or RevMikeWoo.com. We'll talk with you next time, and make sure that you keep the change.